I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I'm trying to teach you something that is resented by most of the church in America. Most of the Baptists I was raised around hate the idea that we believe that the church is actually the extension of Israel. It is not replacement theology. They will call that replacement. You're trying to say that that the Gentile church replaced Israel. No, we're not saying that. We're saying that the Gentile church is a continuation of Israel. You remember when the when the Bible speaks of circumcision? <coughs> circumcision was a title for Israel because God gave that requirement to Abraham in Genesis the 17th chapter. He said you have to circumcise the foreskin of the flesh on the eighth day. Now even Paul said, he said over in Philippians the third chapter, he said, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. I was circumcised the eighth day. That's the same thing. God says, we know that Paul was a Jew, but he was a Gentile. A Gentile, not by birth, but by the Roman Empire, Tarsus, where he was raised, born and raised. Tarsus was the, the Roman Empire would give citizenship to whoever they wanted to. And before Paul was born, Tarsus was given Roman citizenship. So he was a Jew and a Gentile by Roman government. And he said, I was circumcised the eighth day. That's exactly what God told Abraham. So what Paul was saying, he said, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. And we know that southern Israel, we know that southern Israel was comprised of Judah, the tribe of Judah, and the tribe of Benjamin. And southern Israel was southern they actually called it called Southern Israel by the by the title of the chief pride Judah because the king would come out of Judah. Now everything over here in the Old Testament, we find that even in when the Bible says over in Ephesians the second chapter and Colossians the second chapter that you're circumcised in the church at Corinth, the Gentile church. You're circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. So what it's saying, that's not a literal circumcision. That is a spiritual circumcision, cutting off of sin. And I've said this, I keep saying this. This really occurred to me a couple of weeks ago. That true spiritual circumcision is cutting off the outer man that serves the law of the flesh. And you're going to see that man expressed in Colossians, the third chapter, 
uh, Ephesians, the Ephesians, the fourth chapter, uh, Romans, the seventh chapter, and throughout other places in Second Corinthians, the fourth chapter talks about putting on, put on, put on the new man, and that's talking about putting on the new man is talking about putting on this man, the inner man, which is Christ in you, and that's the new birth. It means to put on the character of that new man, and it takes years and years and years for God. I always put concentric circles around this because it takes years of fire, trial, and persecution. If you think you're having too hard a time, you're not. It takes God all of that trial and persecution and tribulation to get rid of self, that outer man, and that is spiritual circumcision. When the Bible says over here in Deuteronomy that God will circumcise your hearts. See, circumcision is not just spiritual in the New Testament is spiritual in the Old Testament. God circumcises the hearts of the believers in that 10th chapter of Deuteronomy. So God will do that. Everything over here is equal over here. Now, I've got up on the board there, if we are not spiritual Israel, which the church wants to fight in America, then why did God? One of the most interesting, a couple of the most, a couple of the most interesting things that God said over in in Revelation, He says in Revelation. I keep reading this because I want you to understand this. In Revelation, the third chapter, He's talking to a Gentile. That you got to get that in mind. He's talking to seven churches of Asia and each one of them is a Gentile church in Asia Minor. Asia Minor, I don't know how he's got this lined up. Alright. Let me see here. I need to go through this and try to get this thing to work. Y'all got this lined up where I don't understand it. get over to one of the uh, in Asia Asia Minor is the same thing as Turkey and well let me go back to this you see this right here this is Galatia Galatia was a state the rest of those churches were they were cities Galatia comprised was comprised when Paul wrote to the Galatians he was talking about Antioch Iconium Derby and Lystra that's what he was writing to and let me see if I can find another here's the here's the churches of Asia right here there's more churches in Asia than any other part are in what we would call Turkey than any other part of the world in the first century. More in Asia, Colossia, Philadelphia, Hierapolis, Laodicea, Trellis, Sardis, 
Thyatira, Troas. Paul was in Troas when he heard the call, the Macedonian call from Philippi to come over and help us. And then Pergamos, Smyrna, Ephesus, Magnesia, Miletus, and Laodicea. These are the churches in Asia. Turkey has more history than any other place in the world concerning the early church. And it'd be great to go there, but it'd probably be very dangerous nowadays. Now, when he says here in Revelation, I've read this to you before, but I'll read it again. When people say we're, he's talking to a Gentile church when he says this, and this is Jesus' words in red letters. Him that overcometh will I overcome is a verb form of the word victory. I'm going to say it one more time. Overcome, N-I-K-A-O. Victory is the word N-I-K-E. This is the verb, overcome. This is the noun, victory. And what is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith? Our death to self is how you overcome the world, dying to the flesh. That's what overcomes the world. That's in 1 John, the fifth chapter. And then he says, I'll make you a pillar in the temple of my God. What's he going to make us out of marble or concrete? That's very figurative language. That's what holds up the temple. We're going to be the, the pillar. And he and and he shall go no more out, and I will write now upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven and from God, and that's exactly the same words as Revelation 21 and 1. He's talking about, I, John, saw new Jerusalem come down from God out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband, and that's the church. It's not some cube that comes down. It's talking about the new birth. And then another verse, so why is he identifying a Gentile church with new Jerusalem? And why does he call us heavenly Jerusalem, the church, in Hebrews, the 12th chapter? And why does he say over here in in Galatians, the fifth chapter, this is really, if we're not spiritual Israel, why does he say this to a Gentile Galatian church? And Galatia is those, is Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, And that's Paul's first missionary journey. You can read about that in Acts the 13th chapter and the 14th chapter, you can read all about Galatians. If you're going to study Galatians, you've got to study Acts 13 and 14. That's Galatians. Then he says here, in Galatians, the 5th chapter, this nails down us being spiritual Israel as much as any verse in the Bible. And he says here in verse 15, now there's a purpose for saying this. 
He says in verse 15, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. If any man be in Christ, we are new creations. That's the same word as this. It's the word kathesis, K-T-S-I-S. You'll never find the vessels of wrath referred to as creations. We are creation. The rest of the world is in chaos. Now, the reason Paul says so much about circumcision all through this book is because back in Acts, back in Acts the 15th chapter, that's when Paul comes in from his missionary, his first missionary journey up to Galatia, where my hand is, to Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. At Lystra's, where they took Paul outside the city and stoned him and left him for dead. They beat his body all to pieces. And that's when he made the statement in Acts 14, 22. We must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. That is a requirement. And they were trying to kill Paul. And then he got up on his feet, went on down to Derby, came back to Lystra, to Iconium, to Antioch, and he went home. And on his way home, there were some Judaizers following him. And they said, we've got to go back and circumcise these Gentiles. Paul said, no. Why were they saying that? Because before Jesus died, if you were a Gentile coming to, coming to Israel, you had to be circumcised, washed in water, and offered two turtle doves at the temple, and that would make you a new citizen of Israel. Israel, but you had to give up everything, all your money, all your property, in order to come down and begin to follow Jehovah. That was a naturalization process. That's why Paul said, we're not going back to circumcise these Gentiles. Peter said, we're not going to wash them in water anymore. And therefore, the two turtle doves is done. Everything there will now be spiritual circumcision, spiritual water, and so forth. And the the new sacrifice will be our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. Our bodies a living sacrifice in Romans twelve and one, that's when we tell people the truth about Christmas is pagan. Our body becomes a living sacrifice. We tell them God does not love everybody. He loved Jacob and hated Esau. For either one were born, for either one had done any good or evil. And they'll get mad at us and separate from us. If you think you can keep your friends by telling them these things, you can't. Not unless they are God's elect. Only the elect are going to believe these truths. The rest of the Baptists and the Pentecostals and the Church of Christ, they're not going to believe this. They don't like that. Now, all right. Now, I'm trying to show you why God, we said last week, why did God use, or last message, why did God use a spiritual lamb? We find the spiritual lamb, which is Jesus it's the Passover lamb. The Bible says he was crucified for us as a Passover lamb in 1 Corinthians, the 
fifth chapter. Well, First Corinthians, the fifth chapter, is sometime after Jesus is dead. People say, don't these things continue? Everything continues. When you go to the 12th chapter of Exodus, Exodus 12th chapter, the Bible says that the Passover will be an everlasting Passover as a memorial. And it doesn't stop as a memorial to Christ or a memorial to God's law. It doesn't stop when Jesus is nailed to the cross. What happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross? I'm going to say it one more time. Blotting out, Colossians 2.14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, the rituals, the dogma, D-O-G-M-A, the rituals. Only the rituals were blotted out, not the law. The law is still here. Uh, people say, the law's done away with. Oh, really? You mean you can go out and kill somebody? Can you rob a bank? Can you, be, can you commit murder and adultery? Can you do that? The law is still here. Do we make void the law through faith? Yea, we establish the law. The last verse of Romans, the third chapter. All the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Thou shalt agape thy neighbor. And agape is walking in the commandments of God. One of the best commandments of God, one of the best imperative moods. An imperative mood is a command just as much as when Jesus said, let there be light, he was the God in the beginning. Just as much as he said, let there be light, it was a command. Every imperative mood is a command. My favorite imperative mood is in Ephesians 4.26. Be angry. Ooh. Be angry at what? At the winds of doctrine that make the church past feeling, apologeo, apathetic. A-P-A-L-G-E-O. Apathetic. And he's talking about the winds of doctrine that men go around preaching. And if they listen to this stuff, they get to where they don't care. Apathetic means, well, I don't care. I don't care if God doesn't love everybody. I don't care if Christmas is pagan. I like to do it and have fun. Okay. Then you'll have to deal with God at the judgment. You cannot come up and just make up the things for yourself. So... He blotted out the rituals. Let me keep reminding you. This is more than one time. The Bible says in the third chapter of 2 Corinthians, there's two parts to the law. There's the letter. You say, Jim, you keep saying this. I don't know how to say all this without putting this back on the board. The letter and the spirit. The letter is the rituals. The letter killeth, and the Spirit gives life. God doesn't blot out the Spirit of the law because the Holy Spirit is truth. 
He doesn't blot out the truth of the law. The law is still here. All the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt to God be thy neighbor as thyself. And if you get an imperative mood, is a law every time you find... You'll have the Pharisees using an imperative mood. You never pay attention to them using it. If Jesus or one of the writers of the New Testament uses imperative mood, that's a command from God. Just like strive to enter in at the straight gate. Agonizomai is the word strive, Luke 13, 24. A-G-O-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I is our word agonize. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight is the word agon or agonizomai, A-G-O-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I. And the second word, fight, fight the good fight, agonizomai, the good agon. The agon was the arena where they had to go in and compete in the games and sweat and even face the gladiators. So agonize. That's imperative command. It's as much of a law as thou shalt not kill. And that's some, and that's what I said earlier. That's what makes life so miserable for the believer. Predestination, like one of the great writers said, is one of the most wonderful, miserable doctrines of the Bible. Because it's a doctrine we can see as believers. He's given us hearing, ear, and seeing eye. And it's something that the world can't see. So that makes us gloriously happy and fabulously miserable, doesn't it? Because you, you try to tell people, and they say, well, I don't know where you got that. I don't believe that. I've been preaching, I've been witnessing to people, like I said, the fact that God's got the majority of the world. Many are going into the wide gate and the broad way that leads to destruction. God's already got their minds fixed not to hear the truth because he's given them an unseeing eye and an unhearing ear. And the hearing ear and the seeing eye is given to his believers. When the Bible says, straight is the gate, Wide is the way, broad is, excuse me, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And few there be that find it. Everybody in the world, God has already got them set to believe or not believe. Your job is to tell everybody the truth you can. And all you're doing is looking for God's elect, predestinated family. That's all we're looking for. We're not trying to figure out a way to turn a goat into a sheep any more than we're trying to turn a tree into a rock. You can't go out and preach to a tree and turn it into a rock. You can't preach to a goat and make it a sheep. There's no way. You're going to be miserable to some great degree. The more you learn, in one much wisdom is much grief, and he that increases knowledge increases sorrow. The more you learn, the wiser you get, the more grieved you become, and the more sorrowful you get. Welcome to the world of getting old. That's what happens. But by the same token, if you learn all these words, learn all these verses, at least learn to paraphrase them, I'm ready for anybody. I'm ready to confront anybody. And I don't do it to cut them down. And I don't do it to show them up. 
I don't do it trying to make them embarrassed and be cutting and abrasive at all. I just tell them, hey, the Bible says God does not love everybody. You either believe that or you don't. It's in the Bible. One of my favorite things to say to people, when they say, well, I don't believe that predestination, I say, well, you call yourself a Christian, you have to believe it. It's in the Bible. What's wrong with you? I talk to them like they're about seven years old, and I'm the, and I'm the fifth grade teacher. Saying, you can't believe that. It's Bible. For whom he did, for no, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. You you don't believe that? Well, it don't mean that. What does it mean then? I've had people come here to grace and truth and say, I read Romans 9 and Romans 8 and I couldn't figure out what it meant. I said, it meant what it said. It did. The reason people don't want to believe what it says because they listen to preachers say it doesn't mean that and we're not going to deal with that. They they never talk about those verses. Now, I get, I get on back here. I was going to give this to you one more time. I gave it to you before. But you need to understand when Paul said to the Galatians... All through the book of Galatians, he's talking about circumcision and uncircumcision. He says in verse 6 of chapter 5, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by agape. Faith works. And preachers say, works has nothing to do. Oh, yes, it does. Faith works. We are his workmanship, his poema, P-O-I-E-M-A. Workmanship is a very interesting word. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I said earlier, all those independent Baptists I was raised around, they love from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, but they never go to verse 10. They say, not of works, lest any man should boast. Works has nothing to do with our salvation. Yes, it does, you knuckleheads. Verse, the next verse, verse 10, we are his workmanship, P-O-I-E-M-A. That's workmanship. Let me tell you the difference between work and workmanship. The common word work is ergon. It means to toil or labor. To toil or labor. In ergon, in ergon means to work within. We get our word E-N-E-R-G-Y. When a battery is energized, it works from within. That's not even hard to understand. And then you've got this word poema. Poeo comes from P-O-I-E-O. That's the word workmanship in Ephesians 2.10. Never heard an independent Baptist quote Ephesians 2.10. Not one. And I heard hundreds of them. I don't know, hundreds, maybe 50, 60, 80. I don't have many, a bunch. Workmanship is, is the word poema. Poeo is a word that means to work, but it doesn't mean common work. It means to work like putting together a tapestry. 
a tapestry, or a mosaic. Everything that God does in us, it is God that works in you to willing to do of His good pleasure in Philippians 2.13. It's God that works in you. This word poeo means to put together a poema means a tapestry or a mosaic, something like that. It's a picture that God paints with our lives. And he puts us through all kinds of fire and trials. What he's doing is putting the strokes on our lives to make us a beautiful life after we've gone through fire and trials for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. After you go through a lot of trials, I don't really care what anybody says about me anymore. I've got enough people angry at me that one more or less don't matter. If you can ever get about 10 people angry at you for what you believe about predestination and Christmas is pagan, one more or less is not going to matter. It doesn't matter to me. Somebody says, they're going to be mad at you for that. I say, oh, well, okay, so, so what? It doesn't matter. They're supposed to get mad. If they get angry at you, they're supposed to. Learn that. That's hard for Christians to get a hold of, isn't it? They're supposed to make you sad and weary. And much wisdom is much grief. The wiser you get, the smarter you get. You're going to be grieved that much more. That's the way it works. We are not going to, the only time we're going to have fun on this earth is with one another. That's why Paul said in Philippians, the third chapter, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. You know how important that word fellowship of his suffering is? Fellowship. Fellowship is a word that means to we get together as believers. We get together as believers and we fellowship in the things of Christ in His suffering. We're doing that right now. This, We don't fight each other when we get to fellowship in the truth, do we? Sum, sum, konos, C-O-K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A. Kononia means fellowship, and we fellowship together. And that's what we're doing here. This is the only time. This is why God's people need fellowship. As much as you can through the week, you need to call one another, talk to each other, get together with each other, and, and have fun with each other. And we can laugh about people that say things to us, and we do that, don't we? And somebody can say, well, he had a car wreck. And we'll say, well, that was the will of God. You know that, don't you? And everybody laugh about it and say, yeah, it was. <laughs> Whatever happens or somebody can get cancer, you say, that's the will of God. Boy, that sure makes life easier, doesn't it? And then he goes on to say here, i got to give you this one more time. The reason he said neither circumcision and uncircumcision of anything is because these Judaizers were following Paul back from his first journey saying let's go back and circumcise these people so they can 
so they can become citizens of Israel. But Jesus has been nailed to the cross at that point. And Peter says, no. And Paul says, no. And James, head of, this, head of the council of Jerusalem, says, no, we're not going to circumcise or baptize anybody in water anymore. Peter says that in Acts 10.48. Well, actually, he says in 10.47, can any forbid water that these should not be baptized? It doesn't say that in the Greek text. It says not the water forbid forbid is not a verb like it looks like in our language a verb shows action it's not a verb it's a verbal noun and that's an infinitive it's the same kind of verbal noun that baptize is it's a it's an infinitive let me show you what it's like it's like saying, build a dam and stop that water. Build a dam. Stop. And what was he talking about? He was talking about at the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, an Italian of the Italian band. He commands them to be baptized in the name in verse 48. This is verse 47, 10 47 and 1048 he commands them to be baptized in the name to be baptized in the name to be baptized is also an infinitive. In the English, when you have an infinitive, you have to be before it. To be. To be baptized is a verbal noun. It means the outer... When this word en, it says, it says in in your English text, but it's the word en. E-N. When this word en is used with an infinitive, it only means at the very maximum with or by. What this word means is to be baptized with the name. It means an outer source is going to come upon you and baptize you with the onoma See, people, when they talk about the name of the Lord and they talk about name of people, they, they get all messed up in the word name. The name of God is not Jehovah or Yahweh. It is name in the Hebrew is Shem. It means authority. has the same exact meaning as the word Onoma, name, in the Greek. It means God's authority, and His authority is His Word, and the Word, Thy Word is truth, and the Holy Spirit is truth. So, the Holy Spirit, truth, Word, are all the same thing. It's the authority of God. Can you see that? Anytime you've got something equal to the same thing, Thy Word is truth, 
The Holy Spirit is truth. I've given you that over and over again. Truth means to take the cover off. So baptize these people with the ability to take the cover off and give the definition. I just, I can't believe the world, they want to fight you over the word name. Name of God is Jehovah. The name of God is Yahweh. No, the word name is Onoma and Shem. Authority. It's God's authority. What is His authority? His word. Besides that, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Heavenly Father, Prince of Peace. Upon His thigh was a name written, the Word of God. There in Revelation, the 19th chapter, He comes back on a great white horse. Name. There's more to the word name than Jehovah. Jehovah means self-existent. So does Yahweh. And to be is the word to be. To be baptized in the name. To be baptized is an infinitive. It means the baptism part comes from the outer source. There has to be a movement comes from the outer source upon the subject. That is a verbal noun or an infinitive. To be baptized. No matter whether people like that or not, that's what it means. And then he says here. So when he's talking about them coming back and these Judaizers want to go back, you can bet they want to circumcise them and they want to wash them in water and circumcise them and offer two turtle doves. Peter says, we're not going to do that. So did Paul. So did James, head of the council of Jerusalem, said, we're not going to do it. That takes me back to verse 12. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh. Fair show is really a good word. Euprosopon. A-U-P-R-O-S-O-P-O-N. Remember the word prosopon uh, means it comes from the word pros, apo, lepteo. That's the word respect of persons. It means to, it comes from pros means toward, that's our word pro, toward, ops, which comes from our word optical, and lambano. Lambano means to take hold of what you see and move towards the surface, prosopon, is the word face or surface. And, that, and you means a well surface. As many as might want to make a fair show, prosopon, you prosopon, it means a good countenance. They want a good showing. In a sense, that's the same thing as hypocrisy. Hupocrates, H-U-P-O-K-R-I-T-E-S. Hupocrates, this is what they called a stage actor in the first century. Stage actor. 
stage actor in the first century, he wore a mask or a face. He would say, hi, how are you doing? Isn't it wonderful to be a Christian? Just don't you love Jesus with all your heart? I want to kick somebody in the shin that does that. Say, stop that. That's phony. You're not supposed to be that. You're supposed to be sad and weary. Much wisdom is much grief and it increases knowledge, increases sorrow. You're supposed to be sorrowful and weary. Not to praise God. That's hypocrisy. I hate that when somebody wants to say, don't you just thank the Lord for salvation? I just, I just want to slap them and say, wake up. You're not even supposed to feel that way. Hypocrites was an actor. It means an inferior judge. And that has the basic same meaning as respect of persons means to look at the outward appearance. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Then he says, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised at Galatia in one of these towns, Antioch, Iconium, Derby, and Lystra, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. What that is saying, that's saying they want to look good on the outside so people don't come after them and try to crucify them. If you look real good and you put on a Christian face or a phony Christian face, then you don't have to suffer. Neither they themselves are circumcised keep the law of God. They just looking like they do. But desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. Now that's funny to me. Because in every Baptist church you got a tote board up front. Two hundred and thirty saved this year. Have you all seen those? I know you've seen them, Baptist churches. 230 saved and 300 baptized. So we can tote and give you the total and brag on what we've done here. We need to put a tote board and put 50 spiritually circumcised. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I do not believe that's the wooden cross. I believe that's the daily cross. Because he's talking about that here by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision, he's talking to a Gentile Galatian churches at these four cities. That's what he's talking to. And men want to go back and circumcise them. That veils neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature... Catesis. Only the believers are called the catesis. We are new creations in Christ. K-T-S-I-S. I'll get it in a minute. K-T-S-I-S. The unbelievers are not called new creations. But as many as walk according to this rule, this canon. What canon is he? This is referenced back to the antecedent, a new creature. 
as many as walk according to the rule of the new creation. Peace be on them and mercy upon God's Israel is the new creation. That's what it says. What do you mean we're not Jews? Now, let me give you something else. I've been meaning to get into. I know I repeated a lot on this. I, I think I've got to repeat a lot to get it into people's minds. We are a spiritual Israel. If he says that about us and said he's got written upon us New Jerusalem or heavenly Jerusalem, the church, we are God's Israel. Why is God doing all of these things? Why is God giving us a Passover lamb, which is Jesus, and he does that at the Passover, Nisan 14. That's our month, March, April. And why 50 days later, 50 days after Pentecost, or excuse me, after Passover, 50 days later, later, what you have is you've got Pentecost. And that's the birth of the church at a Pentecost, not Pentecostal. I don't believe in Pentecostalism. Don't believe in tongues. Don't believe in faith healing. At a Jewish holiday, Pentecost, he births the New Testament church. Why is he doing that at a Jewish holiday if we are not? If we are not spiritual Jews, we are. It's all through the scriptures that we're spiritual Israel. I don't know why the Baptists I was raised around hate that so much. You know why they hate it? Because they've got a pre-trib rapture and they say the seven years is seven years is for is for the Jews only. And that we're supposed to be raptured out of here at the beginning of those seven years. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. When we're taken out to meet the Lord is in Revelation 7, or 10 and 7. Christ has got one foot on the land and one on the sea. And there's been, there's been seven trumpets from Revelation 8, 9, and 10 and 7, that's the seventh or the last trump, and we're going to be changed at the last trump. And when the seventh trump sounds, the mystery of God is finished. Mystery of God, the Bible says, is finished. That's in verse 7. Finished is the word teleotes, T-E-L-E-I-O-T-E-S. Teleotes is a form of teleos, which is the word perfect. Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. But it doesn't mean to be without sin. It means to be mature and grow up. What he's saying is the church is complete and the last one comes in at the signing of the seventh trump. I haven't showed you this in a while, 
Let me show you the mystery of God that's complete. Go back over to Ephesians, the third chapter. Here's the mystery of God. For this cause, for what cause? For this cause, for the cause that Israel and the church, the Gentile church will become one, all the believers. Not because you live in Israel, but because you come through Christ. And he says that in verse 18 of the previous chapter, will become one body. In verse 16 of the previous chapter, there's one body, that's the church. And that's the mystery. And verse 15, he'll make of two, Jew and Gentile, one new man. And then he says the same thing about makes both one in verse 14. And he says in verse 11, remember in time past, in time past Gentiles, you were Gentiles in the flesh. He's talking to a Gentile church at Ephesus on the western end of Turkey who are called uncircumcision. That was a title for Gentiles, uncircumcision, because they didn't have the law given to Abraham. But it says that they were part of the mystery when you get into chapter 3, which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands. That's what circumcision was in the flesh made by hands. But he said in verse 12 that at that time you were without Christ being aliens, Apollo, Apollo trio, which means estranged away from the commonwealth of Israel. Commonwealth is the word politia. We get our word politic from that. P-O-L-I-T-E-I-A. We get our word politic and it means citizenship. You Gentile church at Ephesus, at one time you were aliens. You weren't in the citizenship of Israel. But you've been made nigh by the blood of Christ. And then he says in verse in verse 19, now therefore, you Gentile church are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. Sum, sum, polites, P-O-L-I-T-E-S. Sum means with the Jews that are believers. You are fellow citizens with the Jews of Israel that believe God and the saints of the household of God. Then he says in verse 1, For this cause, for what cause? What we just talked about, the fact that Jew and Gentile is going to be made one, and that we're going to be fellow citizens with the Jews in Israel that believe, with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. Paul's ministry was to the Gentiles. In fact, remember, the word Gentile is the word ethnos. Gentile, that's the word Gentile. 
it's also the word nation. I don't know why the translator translated Gentile and nation from ethnos. Get our word ethnic from that. So he said, you are, I was sent for the Gentiles. He says in Galatians, the second chapter, I was here to preach to the Gentiles and Peter was here to preach to the Jews. He was here to preach to the circumcision. I was a messenger to the uncircumcision, which is a term for Gentiles. And then he says, in verse 2, If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, dispensation or economia is our word economy. It means one who dispenses. Let me just put this on the board in O-I-K-O-N-O-M-I-A. It means it's the word dispensation and it's also the word stewardship. Same exact word. It means the house law. The oikos namas. The house law. We are God's house. And it comes from our hearts and our mouth. And he says how that by revelation you got to know what the word revelation is. Apocalypsis. I'm trying to show you the mystery. Apocalypsis. Apocalypsis is a form of the word apo. K-A-L-U-P-T-O. Apocalypsis is the word mystery. And apocalypse was the word revealed. And apo, it comes from apo, meaning a removal of calypto, the cover. And what is the mystery? Who did God reveal himself to? Look in Luke 10. We're going to come back here. Luke 10. Who did he reveal himself to? Here's what it'll tell you right here. Luke 10. Verse 21. In that hour Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent of this world. Hid is the word apocrypto. A-P-O-K-R-U-P-T-O. It comes from apo and crypto. We get our word crypt. C-R-Y-P-T, that's where you hide that's where you hide a body in a tomb. C-R-I-Y-P-T. Crypt. So we get the word crypt, it means to hide the body in a crypt. Apo means a removal. Removal of the crypt. So he's hid these things. 
to the wise and prudent of this world and hath revealed apocalypto them unto babes and he calls us babes all through the scripture says except you come as babes you will not enter the kingdom there in Matthew the 18th chapter and hath revealed them to babes even so father for so it seemed good in thy sight all things are delivered to me of my father and no man knoweth who the son is but the father and who the Father is but the Son and one other person, he to whom the Son will reveal him. Apocalypto. Reveal is the word apocalypto, and it's no longer a mystery. The, myst the mystery is the church that the world doesn't see. They can't see what the church is. They can't see the things that we see. They can't understand what we understand when we say God loved Jacob and hated Esau before either one were born. So we'll go back over here to the third chapter of Ephesians. And he says, How that by revelation, apocalypsis, apocalypto, and verse 3 of chapter 3, he made known unto me the mystery. The mystery, mystery is Mysterion. It means come from muo, meaning to shut the mouth. And so God has not revealed. He's kept the mouth shut to everybody that's not elect of God. And the mystery, he tells you exactly who it is here. Whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. That is, he reveals himself to whomsoever he will. That's predestination. While in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. Sons of men is a term for Gentiles. When you see the two different uh, lineages in Genesis 4, that lineage does not go back to God. That's Cain's lineage, which were called sons of men. The, the, in Genesis 5 is the lineage of the Jews, starting with Adam, going down to Seth, and then Enosh and Canaan and Mahalalel and so forth, all the way down to Noah, then Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the people that he came to, and because they kept going after all these idol gods, Baal in the grove and so forth, he says, I'm going to call my people by another name, Gentile Church. And that's the mystery. But everybody can't see that. And then he tells you that. In other ages, it was not made known. Instead of sons of men, you could put Gentiles. It was not known unto the Gentiles as it is now apocalypto revealed well, he's saying the Gentiles is having it revealed to them unto his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit that here's that is a conjunction that's going to tie together the mystery that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs with the Jews believers and of the same body. How many bodies are there? According to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, there's one body. And what's the body? That's the church. 
You mean we're not spiritual Israel and we're of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. Now go over to the, I'm simply explaining to you the mystery. And go over here to the fifth chapter of, of Ephesians. And he says in verse 30, this one body that we share with the Jews, verse 30 says, we are members of his one body. Because he says that there's one body in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, in verse in verse. For there, there is one body, and the body is the church. There in Colossians 1, 18 and 24, there's one body. So we are spiritual Israel, the body of Christ. And then he goes on to say in verse 30 of chapter 5, And we are members of the body and of his flesh and of his bones, of his flesh, he said, my flesh is made indeed. Indeed is the word of truth. So we're members of truth. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and the two shall be one flesh. And this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. That's the mystery. So when you're talking about the mystery of God, that's the Gentiles will be fellow heirs. It was hidden through the ages. The reason it was hidden because in Genesis 17, when God tells Abraham, circumcise everyone in your household, anyone who has been bought by money in your household, Gentiles, they can be a part of the kingdom of God. He says that in the 17th chapter of Genesis. But God hid that all the way till Acts 2 when he poured out of his spirit on all flesh. He only gave his truth to one flesh in the Old Testament. started with Adam and that Genesis, the fifth chapter. And it goes on down through Seth and Enosh and Canaan, Mahalalel and Jared, and Enoch, and Methuselah, and Lamech, and Noah. And Noah's son, or facts, it go, takes it all the way down to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name's changed to Israel. There was one flesh that got the truth. Now the Gentiles can be fellow heirs and of the same body. The church. I don't understand preachers not believing that we're spiritual Israel. It's just insanity. Everything in the New Testament says we are spiritual Israel. And we have to be obedient to God. There's a section that I want to show you that I love this. Why did God cause us partake in the story of the of atonement the atonement was the atonement was the third 
you had the uh, Passover. And God used a, pass, a spiritual Passover lamb, Jesus. The Bible says he is our Passover in the fifth chapter of 1 Corinthians. Then he used Pentecost to birth the church. All this is Jewish. Why would God use a Pentecost to birth the church 50 days after the Passover? What this is, when Israel left Egypt, they had the first Passover in Exodus, the 20th chapter, excuse me, 12th chapter. And it was an eternal Passover as a memorial forever. The Bible says so. Forever. Now, look, look over there at that. I'll just give you one verse on that. Ephesians, uh, Exodus 12. This, is, this chapter will tell you all about the Passover. They had to have a lamb without blemish. And that has to equate with us and our Passover, Jesus. Exodus, the 12th chapter. And look here in verse... They take a lamb at the first part of this. They take a lamb in the first month. That's Nisan. It says first month in verse 2. And then he says... In the tenth day of the month, Nisan 10. I've told you that 500 times. Nisan 10. Our month, March, April. The funny thing is, that's when the harvest began. They had seven months of harvest. The harvest began in Nisan. That's when the barley, barley and the wheat crop come in. And it was really at its height 50 years later, 50 days later. 50 days was seven times seven weeks. Reminds us of the year of Jubilee, seven times seven years. At year of Jubilee, the 50th year, where they had to release all the, all the debtors they had to mark everything paid in full, and everybody said, went back to their own land. All land went back to the original owners, and everybody had to go back to square one and start all over again. Nobody passed gold. Nobody got to collect $200. You go back, if you were a great investor over those 50 years, you lost it all in the 50th year. That was God's way of controlling greed. That's why they didn't want to follow him. All of your laws, and we, and I'm a hustling real estate go-getter, and I bought land all over the, all over the nation in Reuben, and I bought some land in Simeon, and I bought some land in Manasseh, and I got to give it all back. Yes, boy, that's a way to control greed, isn't it? You get to keep it for thirty, forty years, and it's not yours anymore. Oh, guess what? That's the way it is with Bill Gates. He's got $160 billion, $170, something like that. You know how much money that is? That's a million dollars, 170,000 times. And I can't do it once, can you? And he's got to give it all up. Just He's probably about 65, 68 years old, 
and it doesn't belong to him anymore in 20 years. What if somebody would give you $100 billion and say, you get to keep it for 10 years and then you got to give it all back? <laughs> no, thank you. If that's what i got to do. Warn you that have warn you that are rich, you have your consolation, Bill. I have no respect for people on top of the world. I don't believe you can make a hundred and seventy eighty billion dollars and not cheat a lot of people. Not hurt a lot of people. No way. I said that about Donald Trump to one of my uh, my uh, heart doctor I said you can't make two and a half billion dollars without hurting a lot of people it's just the way it is I'm not taking any stand on anything anybody that's super rich has to hurt somebody I was in real estate let me tell you the big rich guys in real estate hurt a lot of people they just do that they hurt each other now what was I let's go back did I give you something Exodus chapter 12. He's talking about the Passover all through this. He's talking about the Passover in verse 11. Thus you will eat it with, you'll eat the Passover with your loins girded, with your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. What is he talking about? They're leaving Egypt. When they get to the promised land and they keep the Passover, they do it lying down on a triclinium bed. That was called a feast table. They, they, they had it on the triclinium table and the server would come in and serve them. But as they're leaving Egypt, they did it standing up. They're on their way out. And that was the 10th plague. That was the death of the firstborn. If you didn't have this, it's the same thing in the New Testament. If God hasn't sprinkled your heart in Hebrews 10.22, then the death angel will not pass over you. When you die, you'll go to hell. So when the death angel passed over, those that had the blood on the doorpost, and if you have it on the doorpost of your heart, then you will live in eternity. Now, and he says here in verse, talking about the Passover, look at verse 13. The blood shall be for you for a token and oath, O-W-T-H. It's the same thing as the word, as the word, Simeon, S-E-M-E-I-O-N, in the Greek, means a flag or a signal. That's a flag. The death angel will go over and it will not stop there and kill the firstborn. That's like this first birth that we're in deserves to die, and it will. And we'll have a new body with the second birth. Then you go over to, you go and look down here, and when I see the blood... I will pass over you. That's where the word Passover comes from. When I see the blood of Christ upon the doorpost of your heart, you will not die and go to hell. And who places the blood? That's a blood baptism. 
baptized does not mean to dip in water or to sprinkle with water. It has nothing to do with water. The Pharisees are the ones that polluted it into a water thing. That was a proselyte baptism. Baptized was an infinitive, a verbal noun. It means there has to come a fluid from an outer source upon the subject. And here you are. And he baptizes us. Baptizo with babto. Baptizo means to cover. It does not mean to dip with a stain or dye. First time I saw that in a Strong's Concordance 40 or 50 years ago, I went, what? And I began to study all these scholars on it. And, she, and Mr. Baker Girdlestone, one of the great scholars of the last several hundred years, says it had a dual meaning. It meant to cover with a stain or dye. It did not mean to immerse in water or sprinkle water. Where did that come from? The Pharisees invented it. And the reason Jesus was washed in water was because they hated Samaria and they said Jesus was a Samaritan and Nazareth was in Samaria and that was supposed to be one of the most filthy places in the world. Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth was like saying Jesus of the septic tank to them. They hated Nazareth. They hated northern Israel. They wouldn't step foot in northern Israel. The Pharisees wouldn't. But they said if he would go through this proselyte process, if he would be circumcised, which he already was at birth, if he would offer two turtle doves, which his mother already had done, and if he would be washed in water, they would have to listen to him. That's what the Pharisees said. And then he says down here in verse 14, and this day, the Passover, shall be unto you a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it as a feast by an ordinance forever. What happened to the Passover when Jesus was nailed to the cross? It became spiritual. It did not become crackers and grape juice. That's crazy. I've said it last week, or last message, that when you get into the 14th chapter of Mark, it came time to kill the Passover. When you're in Luke 22 and 7, and the Passover must be killed. There's a Passover lamb there that has to be killed. I've never seen anybody serving a little piece of leg of lamb in any church with this little cup and this little piece of cracker it's insane why can I find the Passover being killed in these verses and no Baptist preacher in America can ever find that it's not like it's hard it's like falling off a log I can just flip over there real quick and this is the time of the Passover. The last Passover is in Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 13. And in 1 Corinthians 11, 
they, Paul is repeating the same words as Jesus at the last Passover. And I just, I don't understand. You bunch of preachers out there, why can't you find this? Do you have a King James Bible? If you got one, just turn over to Luke 22. Luke 22 and verse 1. And the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And then down here in verse 8. Why can, excuse me, verse 7. Why can I find this? No Baptist preacher in America can find it. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover lamb must be killed. Why don't they have a piece of leg of lamb at one of these cracker and grape juice times? I don't believe in crackers and grape juice. They were eating the Passover. And every one of these things had an exact spiritual meaning to it. Christ is the Lamb, we being many are one bread and one body. And the cup of blessing was the third cup of the Passover. And Paul said, the cup of blessing which we bless is not the communion of the blood of Christ. To drink of a cup meant to undergo a death. i got to say it again. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Jesus cooked the cup and said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Testament, diatheke, means last will and testament. But a testament, according to Hebrews 9, has no force till the death of the testator. Jesus is saying, he's acting out of contract, this cup is death to self. When I'm dead 18 hours from now, drink the cup daily. He said, drink ye all of it, didn't he say that? I don't know why I can find these things and nobody else can find them. It just boggles my mind. And he says the same thing. And it's like two witnesses. He says the same thing in Mark 14. In Mark 14, it's like two witnesses. It says in Mark 14, Verse 12, the first day of unleavened bread when they killed the Passover. What did they kill? The day, Nisan 14 was called the Passover. They can't kill the day. What do you do killing a day? You can't kill it. The feast was called the Passover. They can't kill the feast. They killed the lamb. Why don't you guys start off passing around a piece of lamb in all of your communion services I heard a church Christ preacher coming to church early today he said you gotta take of the communion every Sunday pass around crackers he didn't say crackers pass around the bread and the grape juice I'm just saying oh good grief you don't know nothing do you mister he don't, they don't know there's a spiritual Passover Everybody needs to get this book, The Temple's Ministry and Services by Alfred Edersheim. You talk about it, he'll give you everything. He gets into Pentecost here and he says, the Jewish tradition has it that on the second of the third month, Sivan, S-I-V-A-N, the first month was Nisan, 
I've got it. I've got some copies down here of I got some copies of the Jewish calendar down here. And you'll see Nisan and Iyar and then Sivan. Sivan was the month of Pentecost. You got it on here. So in the month Sivan, that's when Pentecost came out. And why? If we're not spiritual Israel, why did God birth the church at a Jewish Pentecost? They left Egypt after Exodus 12. They went down to the... They left... Here's Egypt. This is the Nile River. They go over here into the Sinai Peninsula. First, they cross the Red Sea. They leave Egypt, cross the Red Sea, and come down here into Sinai, south in the Sinai Peninsula. So, what gets me, they leave Exodus 12. Fifty days later, is equal to Pentecost when when Moses goes up on the mountain in Exodus 19 and the law is written on table of stone that he comes down and gives to the people in Exodus 20. Well, why is he doing the same thing with a with a Gentile church when he gets to Pentecost? Pentecost is not Pentecostalism. The tongues thing and all of that. Everything at Pentecost has to do with the birth of the church. When there was a rushing mighty wind. You can and why would God use a Babylonian terminology? Because Israel was in Babylon all those years. And when you look up rushing mighty wind in the uh, in the uh, Hastings Encyclopedia it'll tell you that means breath. That's the breath of God coming down, putting life into the church. With a Jewish Pentecost. If we're not, why would God pick out all these Jewish days to give us a Passover spiritual lamb, Jesus, and then give us a birth of the Gentile church at a Pentecost, Jewish Pentecost? Why would he do that if we're not Jews? It's just crazy to me. Why people don't believe that? Do you know it makes the Bible easier to understand to know that we're spiritual Israel because you can take everything over here and the Old Testament equals everything in the New. That's called an equation in mathematics. This X equals Y. It's really simple. You can find us find our hearts being sprinkled over here let me just show you that one more time our hearts are sprinkled over in Hebrews I, this is so overwhelming to me it might take me 10 years to get through it look over here in Hebrews I 
I wish I could get it over. I don't know how to get it over other than to repeat and repeat. And Hebrews 10. Hebrews is one of the best books to find the shadows and the images. The Bible says in Hebrews 10 and 1, the law having a shadow. Here's the, it's talking about the law along with its rituals. The law is a shadow. You can figure out a shadow quicker than you can figure out the very image. Shadow is the word skia. It means a shade. A shade is easier to figure out. You want to study the New Testament, study the shades. The law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image, icon, not the I-K-O-N, not the actual representation. I can talk about this stuff all day long. I just, I love the Word of God and the way it spells out. Then he says here in verse, and he goes all through here and he talks about the first. Let's read a little bit here in verse 7. Lo, I, and, and, I, and then said I, lo, I come in the volume of a book. It is written of me to do thy will, O Lord. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offering and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein which are offered by the law. He wasn't pleased with the literal goats that are offered and the lambs and the and so forth. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first testament. In what way? He blots out the rituals. All the rituals over here in the Old Testament that had to do with the temple. Now we are the temple of God. We are God's house. He says that in this same book. Christ is the son of his own house. Whose house are we? And the Bible says God dwelt between the cherubim. Dwelt means to build a house or marry. O God, he taketh away the first that he may establish the second testament, which is the real, it's the very image. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I don't know what the Roman Catholics do with this. They have Jesus being offered all day long, thousands of times across America, and then in New York, you go to Mass five or six times a day. Most of them are twice or three times. But you can go to Mass, and they call Jesus the victim every time. And he, offered, he was offered once for all, period. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, can never take away sin and that first testament over there, they can't take away sin. All those were were shades of what Jesus would come and do. 
But this man, Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, no more sacrifices, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. That will be at the last trump. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is witness to us, for after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with my Israel, which is spiritual. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts. I won't put it on tables of stone anymore. And in their minds will I write them. you got to remember he said that over and over again. He said that back in verse 10 of chapter 8. And this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Talking about the Gentiles church. After those days saith the Lord, I'll put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And then I'll sprinkle their hearts with the blood of Christ. And he's saying the same thing over 2 Corinthians the third chapter, Second Corinthians 3, he says in 3, and he says in verse 3, for as much as ye are manifestly declared, he's talking to a Corinthian Gentile church. You're manifestly declared uh, to be the epistle of Christ written written ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone any longer, that's been blotted out, but in fleshy tables of our hearts. So he says that all through. Now go back over here. Go back to chapter 9 of Hebrews. And he says in verse 8, And the Holy Ghost is signifying that the way unto the Holy of Holies of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was standing. This has to be blotted out. Not the law, the rituals of this first tabernacle has to be blotted out. Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The tabernacle of God is with men. That's us. The word tabernacle, skew, says K-E-U-S, comes words S-K-E-N-E, which means a wife, a wife that's useful to the husband. That's the wife, the bride of Christ. And you find that in Revelation 21 and 3. The tabernacle of God is with man. And then he says, let's go back to 10 of Hebrews. Now, where remission of these is, there's no more offering for sin. That's verse 18. Having therefore, brethren, boldness. Well, I didn't finish up chapter 9. Well, I said that the wind of the Holy of Holies is not made known while the original tabernacle was standing. The Holy of Holies is now our hearts. This inner sanctuary was called the house of God because he came down and lived upon the top of the Ark of the Covenant and the high priest came in on the Day of Atonement and sprinkled the Ark of the Covenant. And what does he do now? He says here in verse, the wind... 
Therefore, brethren, verse 19, chapter 10 of Hebrews, boldness to enter into the holiest of the blood of Jesus with the blood of Jesus by a new and living way, which is he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh. Instead of a son of Aaron now, Jesus is the priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He's the high priest of this temple. And he says, the priest of Aaron cannot come into this temple and sprinkle the Ark of the Covenant because that's all the ritual that's blotted out. And having a high priest over the house of God, Melchizedek, we're the house of God. And let us draw near with a full heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and your bodies washed with pure water. Pure water was living water. And Jesus said living water was not that water way down deep in that well of Jacob. In John the fourth chapter, he told the woman at the well, I'll give you living water and you'll never thirst again. She said, how can you do that? The well's deep and you didn't even bring a rope to draw with. He said, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about pure water, the Holy Spirit. I don't know why. Some of this seems so simple to me. And yet preachers can't find it. I just don't want to. Am I out of time, Mike? i got to come back and go into Luke 11 and show you in Luke 11 he's talking about the scapegoat. It's amazing how we've got all of this. I don't see how preachers can even preach without recognizing spiritual Israel. I don't see how they can do it. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Lord, I don't even know how to get this whole message over. It's, it overwhelms me. Would you give me the ability to purvey it to people so they can understand it? You've let me see it. I know I see it. And I'm having to repeat things over and over so I can cover this thing and and really let people understand what the Word of God is about. You've given me this desire, this ability to analyze everything I see. I don't know why I'm just a simple man, Lord. Lord, I pray you'll help me to put these words in the right method so that I can help these folks around the world to see your truth about your word that we are Israel. You said so over and over again. God, I, I don't even know what to ask you anymore. Just crush us under your hand. You said you came to the bruised, the crushed. Lord, we're being crushed by this daily cross as we witness to the world. Open up every opportunity for this ministry to get out to the world and we'll praise you for everything. Glorify you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I, I don't apologize for repeating. I don't see how I can even say some of these things without repetition. I try. I just barely get started on this thing. 
I, to me, the spiritual Israel is the magnificence of this whole picture.